It's nice to see people sprinting to get in the front doors of church and to be dry when you're inside as well. Uh, just before we start, let me just mention a few things. First of all, I just want to say thanks to Dave Seward for the decorations that he put up single-handedly this week, and he also sorted out all the Christmas cards for us. So um, we're grateful for Dave, and also just then to remind you that the Christmas post box is available today and only today. So if you have cards, they'll be collected today and, and given out by next Sunday, but we won't be receiving them next week. That's cards within uh, the church fellowship, if you have those today. And then just some details about the shoe boxes that we sent off last week. Alan has uh, given me the information that we collected 99 boxes from the church last week, so thank you. And on top of that, there were also donations of hats, scarves, gloves, and other items. Those would be used to fill boxes that come in uh, partially full. And we also had some cash, cash donations that were used for Shoebox Online. And that online facility has been used um, over 39,000 times as of last week people making donations, so uh, we're, it's good to see that uh, positive response, even though it's much more difficult this year with the shoe boxes. And as you can see on the screen, all the boxes from our area in the West Midlands are going to Belarus, Moldova, Nigeria, and Liberia. So if you sent a box, 
It'll be in one of those places. It doesn't narrow it down massively, but uh, uh, kids there will be receiving them. And then just to mention, our carol service is this evening at 6, and then repeated next Sunday at 6. There are still some spaces available, but I'd encourage you, if you haven't booked yet, to try to come this evening, because what we don't want is that we have, we have our carol service tonight with empty seats, and then next week there are people at the last minute who want to come and can't find a seat. So if you could make it this evening, if you're not already booked, that would be helpful. And then uh, in the week we have an online prayer meeting, and we'd love to see you joining in with that. Steve will send details for how you can be part of that on Thursday evening. That's all I need to mention. By way of introduction, we've come to worship God, so let's turn our attention to Him, and we'll speak to Him in prayer. Lord God, we come to you as the sovereign Lord, the one whose sovereign rule reaches to the ends of the earth. We're glad to remind ourselves that you rule over kings and nations. You rule over presidents and prime ministers. And so we pray to you today with confidence. We know we can never pray about anything that is beyond you or out of your reach. And so we pray for our nation today, particularly for the negotiations that are going on with regard to Brexit and the finely balanced discussions that are taking place. We know that you care about the welfare of nations, and we ask you to help this nation. We ask that not just in terms of wealth and economics. We pray particularly for the true prosperity that comes when men, women, and children put their hope in your Son, Jesus. So even as we ask you to guide those who lead our nation, we also ask you to open the hearts of people all across the country. Give them an openness to the truth of Christmas. We pray for churches all over the UK trying to do what they can this Christmas. Will you take their efforts and lead people to Jesus? We pray for our own carol service this week and next Again, as we do what we can in these circumstances and as we welcome visitors, will you bring salvation and new life to them? And this morning, as we join together in listening to your word, we ask you to renew our hope and trust in you. Amen. Later this morning, we'll be turning to the book of Ruth. And we'll hear from that book about our Redeemer from Bethlehem. But now we're going to read a passage that was written long after the events in Ruth. And it looks forward to another Redeemer from Bethlehem, whose redemption will spread far beyond Bethlehem. We're going to read a brief passage from Micah chapter 5, towards the end of the Old Testament. Micah chapter 5. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me 
one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labour gives birth and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Our first song speaks about the birth of this promised one. Musicians will lead us in this. It says, look to the skies, there's a celebration. During the Sundays in Advent, we're lighting the candles on our Advent wreath, and today we come to our third candle. The first two candles are purple, symbolizing Jesus' royalty. He is the King, 
And today we'll be also lighting the third candle, the pink one, which represents the joy that Jesus brings. Before that, though, we're going to have a short reading from Isaiah, talking about that joy. And Oliver is going to do double duty today. He's going to do the reading and then light the candles as well. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Before we have our next song, I'm going to ask you if you'll stand with me and we'll join in a prayer, giving thanks for Jesus and everything that he brings to us. Lord God, as we light this candle, we thank you for your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, who brings us great joy. We who have walked in the valley of the shadow of death have found life in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Our next song looks forward to the arrival of resurrection life in all its fullness. There is a day.
this point the Sunday school will be moving next door to continue their time of worship uh, just through this door here anyone in primary school age is very welcome to go In recent months, we've constantly been encouraged to think about the future. We've been asked to accept restrictions on our freedom now, today, because of the long-term benefits, not just to ourselves, but to other people. The general logic has been, don't spend time with other people today, in 2020, because staying away from them makes it more likely they'll still be alive for you to spend time with in 2021 or maybe 2022. Who knows? We've been encouraged not just to focus on the present, but to think about the future. And leaving aside the specific details about lockdowns and tears, I'm sure we all have different views about that. But leaving that aside, the importance of thinking about the future is a very biblical thing. After all, if all that matters is today, well then, let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Both the Old and the New Testaments make that point. 
And the Bible as a whole calls us not to think like that, not to take that view. The Bible calls us not just to live in the moment, but to consider the future and let it affect how we live today. In recent weeks, uh, we've been looking at the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. And as we come back to the book of Ruth this morning, we find Naomi thinking about the future. When we first met Naomi, she was a bitter woman. She had been bereaved of her husband and then her two sons. And she had very little hope for the future. But when she came back to Bethlehem with her daughter-in-law Ruth, Naomi began to experience kindness, faithful love. And that faithful love gave Naomi courage to hope again. In our passage this morning, we find a rejuvenated Naomi, full of hope for the future. And whatever condition you are in today, I hope that as we look at this passage, it's an encouragement to you to renew your own hope. So let's read Ruth chapter 3 if you have a Bible available. If not, you can just listen along as I read it. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I'll do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I'm your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, and he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. 
When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? And she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. This is God's word. And it's a passage that begins and ends with the mention of rest. First, we find Naomi and Ruth looking for rest. Then we have the assurance of a Redeemer who will not rest. First, we have two ladies looking for rest from the right person. In chapter 2, the focus was on the harvest that was going on in Bethlehem. Naomi and Ruth returned from Moab to Bethlehem just as the barley harvest was beginning. And Ruth went out hoping to benefit from the harvest. And against all the odds, she found a welcome in the field of Boaz. That welcome was against all the odds because Ruth is a Moabite. She is a big-time outsider in Israel. Her people, the Moabites, are enemies of Israel. And the height of Ruth's expectations was that she would be allowed to glean in someone's field. That meant just being allowed to pick up the scraps that were dropped by the harvesters. But in Boaz's field, Ruth found an unexpected welcome. And following on from that, she found an extravagant acceptance. Because Boaz did not just tolerate Ruth being in his field, he brought her in to share a feast with his workers. And he sent her home to Naomi with more than she could ever have hoped for. Thanks to Boaz's generosity, on her first day, Ruth took home the equivalent of two weeks' rations for a worker. And when Naomi sees that blessing Ruth has received, Naomi's heart comes alive again. She recognizes the Lord's faithful love in this. And her mind begins to consider the future. She doesn't just think about the present and say, great, let's eat and drink, tomorrow we die. We see that here in chapter 3, verse 1. One day Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Considering how little they had expected in Bethlehem, Naomi and Ruth have been experiencing fantastic blessing. But the time of harvest lasted six or seven weeks. Naomi knows if these present blessings are all they have, then they're in trouble. Because as we'll see in a moment, the harvest is now at an end. Naomi knows they need more than just grain for today. They need hope for tomorrow and next year and beyond that. Without that, these present blessings will have been for nothing. So Naomi says to Ruth, I must find a home for you. Literally, I must find rest for you. If you're using the NIV, there's a little footnote pointing that out to you. So why does the main text of the NIV say a home? 
Well, it's because when we talk about rest today, we usually mean a night's sleep or maybe a few weeks' holiday. But Naomi is talking about something more permanent than that. She's talking about a resting place. The same word is used in the book of Genesis to talk about Noah's ark coming to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Unless the world flooded again, that ark was never going to move from there. It had found a permanent home at the top of those mountains. And that's the kind of thing Naomi has in mind for Ruth. A permanent home, a secure future. Not just a place where Ruth can settle, but also a place where she'll be well provided for. Just think for a moment about the change that has come over Naomi. When we met her, as I said earlier, she was bitter. She was fairly hopeless. And she barely seemed to notice this faithful daughter-in-law who'd left everything to stay at her side. But now, the Lord's love, shown through Boaz, it's transformed Naomi. Her experience of the Lord's love has warmed her up to the point where she doesn't mention her own losses anymore. She's concerned that Ruth be well provided for. And Naomi knows exactly where to look for this resting place for Ruth. It's obvious. Boaz. She says in verse 2, Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. That's what tells us the harvest is at an end. Winnowing involved throwing the harvested grain up into the air, and that separated the useless chaff, which would blow away, from the heavier kernels of grain, which would fall back to the ground. Winnowing and the party that went along with it was the climax of the harvest. So, with the future in mind, this is the time to act. But as we read this, we might have some questions about Naomi's instructions to Ruth. She's to doll herself up and then go secretly to the threshing floor. And in verse 4, Naomi says, When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. The reason Boaz would sleep at the threshing floor is to protect the grain from being stolen before he can sell it. But why would Ruth sidle up to him there in such a secretive way? Why not just wait a day or two till he's back home and then knock on his front door? I think the answer is this way will save Boaz and Ruth from any embarrassment. Because Ruth is going to ask a very big thing. First, she's going to put aside her widow's clothes and dress normally. That's what this washing, putting on perfume and her best clothes is about. It's not really so Boaz notices how attractive she is. This is a signal that Ruth is not in mourning for her dead husband anymore. She is available for marriage. But in this culture... To arrive at Boaz's front door like that, in full view of the people of Bethlehem, it would have put a lot of pressure on Boaz. And it would have humiliated Ruth if he turned her away. 
But this way, by going to him at the threshing floor at night, only Boaz and Ruth are going to know what passes between them. So this meeting at the threshing floor is not a seduction scene. It's a way to honor Boaz by not putting public pressure on him. And it's a way to save Ruth from public humiliation if Boaz backs away. And Naomi has thought of everything to make sure Boaz doesn't sleep right through the night and to avoid having to wake him up forcefully, which might make him yell out. To avoid that, Ruth is to uncover his feet so that he gets cold in the night and wakes up more gradually. And at that point, Naomi knows it will all be down to Boaz. At the end of verse 4, she says to Ruth, he will tell you what to do. He'll smell the perfume, and if there's enough moonlight, he'll see your lipstick and your sparkly dress, and he will get the picture. You've put your morning clothes away, and then he'll decide whether he's open to marrying you or not. Well, Ruth does what Naomi tells her, but actually she does more than she was told. When Boaz wakes up, he's understandably shocked to find a woman lying at his feet. She hadn't been there last time he looked. And while he might be able to make out her lipstick and her sparkly dress, he can't tell who it is exactly. And when he asks, who are you? Ruth answers very boldly in verse 9. I'm your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The first thing to notice is how Ruth's own understanding of herself has changed. When she first met Boaz, she said, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? She also said, You've put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. Ruth was very conscious she didn't belong. But now having experienced acceptance and faithful love, notice she no longer refers to herself as a foreigner. And she no longer says, I don't have the standing of a servant. Now she calls herself a servant. That's what faithful love does. It changes us. It changes how we see ourselves from outsiders to men and women who belong. Of course, we might not think it's a big improvement from thinking of yourself as an outsider to begin to think of yourself as a servant. But there is dignity in being the servant of a man of standing. That's what Boaz is. It is a huge step forward to move from being a hated outsider to being one of his people. It is an honor, isn't it, to serve someone who is so worthy and so honorable? And for us, if we're Christians, isn't it an honor to be called servants of God? There's nothing demeaning about serving the creator of the universe. The Lord of all creation. 
It is an honor to serve a worthy master. But here, Ruth boldly asks for more than that. She says, spread the corner of your garment over me. Now that does not mean it's cold out here, so let me share your blanket. It's not what she's saying. Literally, she says, spread your wings over me. Now, if we have read chapter 2 of this book, that ought to ring a bell with us. Because there in chapter 2, Boaz said to Ruth, you have come to take refuge under the Lord's wings. You've come to him for protection, for care and favor. You've come to him as your resting place. And now, here at the threshing floor, Ruth takes those same words and she says to Boaz, I'm asking you to be the one who delivers the Lord's protection and care to me. And she says, I haven't come to you randomly to ask that. I've come to you since you are a guardian redeemer to our family. In other words, I've come to you because of your position as a guardian redeemer. What does that mean? Well, if you glance down to the bottom of the page, the NIV has a footnote explaining the Hebrew word for guardian redeemer is a legal term for one who has the obligation to redeem a relative in serious difficulty. In other words, he was obliged to help them out of their serious difficulty. That obligation was part of God's law. It was set out in the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. And this is why Naomi was bouncing with excitement when Boaz welcomed Ruth to glean in his field. Naomi knew that Boaz was a guardian redeemer. He had the legal position in relation to her family. And now his kindness to Ruth gave hope that he might provide a future for her too. But it's not certain yet. Why not? Well, there is a complication. Although Ruth has been welcomed and accepted as a servant, she is not an Israelite. And actually, when Naomi's husband Elimelech took his family to Moab years before this, and then married his sons to Moabite women, he was defying God's law. Israelites were not to marry Moabites because of the history of Moabites pulling Israelites away from God. So that puts a big question mark over what Boaz's responsibility really is here. Yes, he has a definite responsibility to Naomi's family, but does that include a responsibility to a Moabite woman who, according to God's law, should never have been in Naomi's family? It seems pretty clear Boaz is not bound here. He has a perfectly reasonable excuse for saying no. Naomi was bold to send Ruth to Boaz. Ruth was even more bold to come and then essentially ask Boaz to marry her. But Ruth and Naomi must both know if Boaz does marry Ruth, it will be an act of grace on his part. 
It will be beyond the letter of the law. It will be the greatest kindness yet. But Ruth and Naomi know Boaz is the right person to come to. He has shown faithful love to an outsider. He has shown himself to be welcoming and accepting. And he has the resources to provide for them. If they are to have a future, Boaz is the man to look to. And if we pause and just think this through in terms of ourselves and our own hopes, maybe we can see, as wonderful as it is to be accepted by God now, as wonderful as it is to live in the knowledge we are accepted, as wonderful as it is to be a servant of God, to have that meaning and purpose in our lives, isn't it true that we want more than that? Like Naomi and Ruth, don't we want a future too? In our case, we want to know there's an eternal home for us where we will be well provided for and secure, where we can rest not in darkness and death, but in life, in the presence of one who loves us eternally. And the Bible tells us the one who can provide that eternal home for us is Jesus. He is the right person to come to with our longings for a future. Because the same God who made provision for guardian redeemers in Israel that same God has appointed Jesus as the great Redeemer. Our hope for the future lies with Jesus. Here in Bethlehem, Ruth has made her proposal. She must know she's asking more than the law requires from Boaz. She's a Moabite. How is he going to respond? Look in verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. So it turns out, far from being reluctant, Boaz was just waiting to be asked. Why was he waiting, though? Well, it seems Ruth has continued to wear her widow's clothes until this night. She had not signaled before that she was open to marriage. And maybe Boaz was waiting to see if she would run after a younger man. The indications are that Boaz is somewhat older. It's hard to say how much older, but obviously he wondered if she'd think he was too old. But now she has approached him and he shows his own desire for her. And if this was a romantic movie, the music would start to surge at this point. Finally, their hearts are revealed. They both know how the other one thinks, how the other one feels. It's true love. Get the carriage, get the confetti. But this isn't a romantic movie. 
And what happens next doesn't fit the standard romantic script. Because having revealed his enthusiasm for marrying Ruth, now Boaz says in verse 12, although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of your family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. Here's another reason Boaz hadn't approached Ruth about marriage. He has looked into the matter, obviously, and he knows that legally somebody else is first in line. Maybe this turn of events frustrates you and me. Who cares about this other guy? He has shown no interest in Ruth up to this point. Why doesn't Boaz ignore the rules? Why risk their love being thwarted because of some obscure procedure? I will grant you, when Megan and I were getting to know one another, it would have been just weird if I contacted the other single man who knew her at that time and asked if they'd like to propose before I did. That would have been odd. But that is not the same as what Boaz is doing here. In fact, our culture has no direct parallel to this situation in Bethlehem. Because the laws about guardian redeemers were not just about marriage. They involved land as well. When a redeemer did their duty to a member of their clan, they also acquired rights to that family's property. So there is a bigger picture to be sorted out here. And Boaz is not going to take any shortcuts with what needs to be done. He's a man of integrity and honor. And we can't admire him for those qualities when it suits us, like when he let Ruth glean in his field, for example. We can't admire his integrity and honor in that situation and then get frustrated by it in this situation because it doesn't seem convenient. And just as an aside here, if you happen to be thinking about marrying someone, pay attention to this. Ask yourself, does this person do the right thing just when it suits them? Or do they make every effort to do the right thing all the time? Even when it's very inconvenient. Someone who's willing to bend and break the rules before marriage is going to carry on that way within marriage. And while it might seem romantic and exciting to be with someone who just follows their heart all the time, it is not so romantic and exciting to marry that person and then find them following their heart in ways that wreck your family and break your heart. Look for someone who's a person of integrity and honor all the time, even when it seems inconvenient. That's the kind of person Boaz is. And I don't even know if Ruth fully grasped the details of what Boaz has to do in this situation. 
Remember, she's a Moabite. Who knows what she understands about the work of a guardian redeemer? But what Boaz promises Ruth here is that her future will be taken care of. She can trust him to provide her with the rest she's looking for. He will see to her long-term security. And in the meantime, he sends Ruth home with a token of that. Verse 15 mentions he gives her six measures of barley. It's a down payment on the future Boaz is going to deliver for Ruth. And for Naomi too, as we'll see next week. And when Ruth gets home, Naomi shows her own confidence that Boaz will deliver. In verse 18, Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. This passage began with these two ladies looking for rest. And now they've found a redeemer who will not rest until the work is done. In the meantime, Naomi and Ruth can rest. They can be at peace. In Boaz, they've found the right person. He's the redeemer they can count on. They have put their hope in him, and their hope is well placed. Even if they don't fully understand what he needs to do to sort out their future, he will work for them until they have a resting place where they will be well provided for. With this Redeemer, their future is secure. And next week we'll see how that secure future takes shape in chapter 4. But for now, we've already begun to think how this passage relates to us. This passage is for all those who look beyond the present, who consider the future, and who long to be able to face the future with confidence. This passage is for those who ache for a home, a secure resting place. And the good news is we have a greater Redeemer. The God who provided Boaz the Redeemer from Bethlehem has provided his own son Jesus as the far greater Redeemer from Bethlehem. And we can be sure if God the Son did not shrink back from the humiliation of birth in a cattle trough, if he did not shrink back from the horrors of death on a cross, if he went through all that so we could be forgiven of our sin and welcomed into his family, then we can trust him to deliver a future for us too. And that is what he's promised to do. Jesus said, My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. Our future is sure when we look to Jesus and believe in him. And Jesus will not rest till we're welcomed into that future. 
The New Testament says he is always interceding for us. He's always working for our good, even in our deepest distress. We might not find it easy to trust him during those times. We may have little or no idea what he's up to during those times of our lives. But we can be confident. Jesus, the Redeemer who died and rose for us, will bring us safely to the place of perfect rest. And whatever we lack now, today, in our eternal home, we will be well provided for. So Advent is a time not only to celebrate what Jesus has done at his first arrival on earth, Advent is also a time to trust him with our present and put our hope in him for the future. Our Redeemer is Lord of the future. Our last song helps us to look forward full of hope because of Jesus. Rejoicing in hope, we wait for our King.
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.